I'll be reading from Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 15 through verse 19. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. We express again gratitude for you being here. We're glad that you're a part of our assembly this morning. We would be glad again if we could see you tonight at 6 o'clock when we meet uh, for worship. We would uh, be pleased if you could be present for that service and help us uh, in our attempt to uh, honor God. When Paul received news about various churches, it was sometimes bad news and sometimes good news. For instance, the report that he got from members of the household of Chloe concerning the conditions of the church in Corinth was not what he hoped to hear. The report came that there were contentions in the church. Corinth was a troubled church. And that wasn't good news. But the news that Paul received about the Ephesian Christians must have brought a smile to the apostles' face. Ephesians 1.15 says that he heard of their faith in the Lord and the love that they had demonstrated toward all of God's people. I would like to think he may have thought of the words of Solomon in Proverbs 25, verse 25, when the wise man said, As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. So from a, from a Roman prison cell, more than 1,200 miles from Ephesus, Paul could lift up his voice in continual thanks to God for these Ephesian Christians. But he didn't just offer thanks. He also petitioned God to help them in understanding and having wisdom. That way, if they had that wisdom and understanding, they could recognize how rich was their inheritance as God's children. And then you come to verse 19, and I hope your Bible is open at Ephesians 1. Because I want you to listen to what the Apostle says again in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Paul would have them understand and appreciate the exceeding greatness of God's power. Now notice carefully in that verse, 
that it is the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe. There are so many occasions where we talk about God's power. We look into the Old Testament and we see His power in creation, how marvelous it was that He could speak and things could be. We see His power to cause a great flood that cleansed the earth. Power to bring plagues on the Ephesians so that His people might be released. Power to provide food to the Jews in the wilderness for more than 40 years. And on and on we could go looking at different examples of God's great Old Testament power. But how often do we really consider the greatness of God's power toward His new covenant people, Christians? I think that consideration would be of benefit to any group of saints, including this group. And if we do that, if we think about the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us, it will strengthen our faith. If we fail to do that, I think we will rob ourselves of what the apostle says is the riches of glory. We miss out when we forget how great God's power is toward us. If you were to look in a concordance of the translation that I use, the New King James Version, and you were to look up the word able, A-B-L-E, you would see that that word is connected to God and His people more than once. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time with you this morning doing, is looking at a couple of the passages that talk about how God is able to benefit us. Let's see how much they can encourage us. Let's start with this one. God is able to keep His promises. I've come to this conclusion, and that is that you should never tire of reading the story of Abraham. It's, it's just too thrilling. His story is a thrilling one. And every time we read it afresh, we are, we are, are, are brought into an understanding of how great that event was. God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation. Genesis 12, verse 2. And in the next chapter we read, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. That's chapter 13, verse 16. Two chapters later in Genesis 15, God told Abraham to look at the sky. And He said that Abraham's descendants would be as impossible to count as were the stars in the heavens. What wonderful promises. But wait, Abraham had no children. How could his descendants be as the dust of the earth? How could his descendants be as the stars of the sky if he had no children? Would he believe? Even though he's in a childless state, would he believe that God would make it possible for him to be the head of a great nation? Centuries later, the Apostle Paul would write, and we studied this last week in our adult Bible classes, Romans 4. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there for just a moment, because I want you to see how the Apostle says this. Romans 4, beginning verse 18. Speaking of Abraham, he says, Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, 
according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now notice verse 21. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham understood what all men ought to understand, and that is that if God promises it, you can count on the promise coming true. What does 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 tell us? For all the promises of God in him, that is meaning Christ, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. You see, the promises of God are yes, they're positive, they're sure. They are amen, that is, so be it, it will be to the glory of God through us. Now, if that doesn't get your heart racing a little bit, you need to check your pulse because you might be dead if it doesn't cause your heart to race a little. God is able to keep his promises. But that's not all. God is also able to make grace abound. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. He writes, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. The context of this statement, of course, deals with giving, contribution. And, and the question is, will the Corinthians give as they have promised they will give? They had promised. Now, would they keep their promise? And some might wonder, if I give generously, will I be poorer for it? Will this take something really away from me? Paul's answer is in verse 8. And if you'll look carefully at all those alls, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that you having all sufficiency in all things. It's a lot of alls. The apostle is absolutely convinced through the Spirit leading him that when grace abounds, we have sufficiency for all things. I believe the application of that truth stretches far beyond giving money because it means to us that whatever God wants us to accomplish, we can accomplish. God will not ask us to do anything we cannot do. And why is that true, that whatever he wants accomplished, we can accomplish, because his abundant grace will make it possible. That ought to comfort us. But that's not all, because we're also taught that God is able to keep us from stumbling. Now remember, it is God's ability toward us who believe, his power toward us. Jude closes his brief one chapter letter with these words in verses 24 and 25. It is called a doxology, a statement of praise, a tribute to God. Here it is. 
Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his, the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You see, if you and I were simply to depend upon ourselves, our own abilities, we could be guaranteed that we would stumble. That's what we do. We stumble. And no matter how good our intentions are, no matter how much we really want to do everything right, we don't. That is not in our own power. But you see, God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He's able to keep us from stumbling. How does He do it? Well, he, he, the way He does it is providing word guidance. We, we don't, you know, if you walk through a darkened room and you don't know where you're headed, you're likely to run into something. You're going to stumble. But if there is light, you can see where you're going. The psalmist in 119, Psalm 119, 105 says that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to worry about stumbling if God's guidance shows us how to go. And in verse 130 of the same psalm, the psalmist would say, the entrance of your word gives light. We don't have to walk in darkness. We sometimes sing that beautiful song, Send the light, the blessed gospel light. And what we mean by that is that the pronouncing of the gospel to others is giving light to those in darkness. But Paul says more than that. Because he also wants us to understand that God has given us his spirit. He has provided us with an earnest, a seal, one who helps us. We may not understand everything about the Spirit God has given us, but we can be certain of this, that He is our helper and He benefits us. But more than this, He's provided His people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage us to support us, to even rebuke us when necessary. All of those things help us to keep from stumbling, and it is because God provides. He is able to keep us from stumbling. But that's not all, because God is also able to keep what is committed to Him. When you think about Paul's life as a Christian, you, you could never say it had been easy. It was not an easy life. His obedience to the gospel and his service for Christ had cost him much. When you look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, you see part of the cost. And the apostle talks about beatings, about shipwrecks, about perils of different sorts. He even gets to the point about concern for the churches. All of those things were heavy weights on his mind and sometimes weights on his body. Now, if you and I had experienced what Paul had experienced, what would our reaction have been? 
If we had been beaten, if we had been threatened, if we had been deceived by false brethren, if we had been in prison, if we had been in want, what would our reaction be? Well, let me tell you what his reaction is. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. 2 Timothy generally considered the last letter that Paul wrote in his life. Paul would write this at chapter 1 verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him until that day. Paul did not believe that his efforts for Jesus had been wasted. <clears throat> he knew that God knew. He knew that God would remember all of the things that Paul had tried to accomplish for him, what he had suffered for him. God would not forget. And it's no wonder that earlier he had reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not wasted effort. Because you see, God records our deeds. He knows what we are and what we've done. Paul could see his life coming to an end rapidly. And as he saw that life coming to an end, he could write with confidence. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Just one more. God is able to go beyond our dreams. Look at for just a moment, if you will, at Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Listen to these grand words. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. I think there are a few passages that could excite us more than this one. Because what the Apostle is telling us by inspiration is that you and I can dream, we can imagine, we can plan, we can set goals in God's service and understand that God is able to crown them with greater success than we could ever imagine possible. Because of his ability, because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, we can know that God is able to crown our efforts with success. You know, it's a shame that we often emphasize what we're unable to do rather than what God can do through us. Some people have a very negative attitude about what can't be accomplished. We can't do this. We can't do this. I can't do this. Perhaps our can'ts are because we're depending too much on our abilities and not enough on God's ability. Jesus would say, with God, all things are possible. And we're not talking about things that contradict His will. But the understanding is that with God's help, 
everything is possible that he wants to see accomplished. I could mention other verses. Some of those verses don't use the word able, but they do attest to God's ability, but I won't do that. But I don't want to close without sharing good news with you. See, Paul didn't always get good news. You're going to get good news at the end of this sermon. God is able to save you. He's not only able, He's willing. You know, sometimes people have ability, but they don't have the will to do what they're able to do. Sometimes people are willing and don't have the ability. God is both willing and able. The question is, are you willing to let Him save you? He wants to. He's shown that by sending His Son, by providing a gospel message that teaches you what to do to be saved. He's allowed you to live long enough to have opportunities to be saved. Do you want Him to save you? He's able to, and He's willing to. Will you let Him? If you're not a Christian, you need to put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Knowing Him to be the only hope that you have of salvation through His blood. And let that belief in Him cause you to turn your life in a different direction. Determining no longer to live for sin, but to live for Christ. And then to have the courage to confess Him before men. And allow yourself to be immersed in water so your sins can be washed away. Are you willing to do that? God wants you to. Christian friend, have the verses that we've talked about this morning reflected your life and what it's showing? Our God is able to show great power toward us. Are you taking advantage of that power? If you're not living as you ought to live, you need to change. And if that change can be helped by coming forward and asking us to pray for you, we will. If you'll come while we stand and sing.